All right. Good morning. Um, hey, let you know about a few things as you're turning over in John, in the book of John to John chapter 3, a few things for you to know about that are going on today and um, in the next couple of weeks. One is, um, you notice we didn't take the offering. We're doing that at the end of the service as you exit. So if you want to be ready for that, uh, that would be great just to have that in mind so you know it's coming so you don't get stuck or, or surprised by that if you wanted to do that this morning. And um, uh, the second service obviously is going to be quite a bit different than the first service since we have few more kids and a whole bunch of seniors to introduce. So um, things are, normally that doesn't happen. The, the services are pretty mirrored, but today, uh, today that changes things and that's why we're doing that. Um, another couple of things for you to be aware of, and we always like, um, it's important for the people of our church to be involved in ministry, like not just here, but in the community and around the world. Uh, we believe that the great commission that Jesus gave was for all believers. Um, and so that means us too. If you're at all interested in um, learning some more, in a few weeks on, on May 27th, I guess that's actually next week on May 27th, um, uh, after church there's going to be a, an interest meeting. If you're interested, there's a, a, a ministry for, particularly for orphans um, in the Philippines, and uh, Lance Sturrock and, and uh, others went and visited just to check that place out to let us know a little bit about it. So if you're interested in that, that's going to be right after the service next Sunday, maybe something you're interested in getting involved in, um, and uh, and we're gonna get be introduced to a couple other missionaries today. In fact, at the end of the service, and then um, um, we also want to make sure you know a couple other little things that um, that some of the staff want to make sure you guys were aware of. One is um, VBS. You can be signing up to be a VBS Vacation Bible School volunteer um, for this this summer. It's a weekend, especially guys. Part of why we do it on a weekend is so that men can be involved. This is important for kids to see. Um, so please look at the at the website for that information. You can sign up on the website to be a volunteer. Um, and there is also for parents of teenagers, probably not a lot of you in here today, but at this service, but we do have a, a summer meeting this afternoon right after church. So just be aware of all these different things coming up. So um, now jumping over to John 3, um, we do have a few things to really jump into. I really love the opening of, of this little section, John 3, starting in verse 22. Um, this is a great, I referenced it last week, but we're going to kind of look at it a little bit more after this. So Jesus has been in Jerusalem, been hanging out there, been doing work there. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John, meaning John the Baptist, anytime you see John in the book of John, it's referencing John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. Um, John the Apostle is the one writing it, so he's not going to say his own name very much, probably not in third person, although some of the authors do. But um, So this is, this is John the Baptist being talked about. John the Baptist was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. We'll talk about that in another couple chapters. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi... He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, let me just tell you a couple things. One, when I read an introduction like that into a story, um, I've told you this before, there are a few different things periodically that, that give me extra, an extra measure of comfort as to the trustworthiness, the reality of Scripture, and as a psychologist, one of them is when I see human beings acting like human beings. That always gives me great comfort. 
um, in Scripture. They're not acting like some type of angels or some type of perfect people. They don't have it all together. Um, Even the people who have some understanding of the truth still don't have it all together. And this is a good example of that. You, you read through this and you're, you're going, really? I mean, this is in the Bible? One, it seems like a waste of a few sentences. Like, what's, what's the point in all this? Well, it's setting up, a, it's setting up a, an understanding as we move forward, but it, but it reads just like someone trying to tell a story. In, in fact, it even reads like you can almost imagine if you've got someone in your life who has that, um, that, that bad habit of saying, to make a long story short, which always means they're extending the story. 100% of the time, it means... This is a two-minute story that I'm going to turn into a 12-minute story, and one of the ways is by consistently reminding you that I'm going to make a long story short, which you're not, that's, you're not going to do that. That's, and that's, that you get that in the middle. It's like John wants us to know to understand this story, but just enough to not be lost by it, not with all kinds of details. So when you read through it, it's a great introduction. So he gives us a little bit about where Jesus was. He's in the Judean countryside. He's there baptizing people, or at least his disciples are. And then at the same time, you've got, um, he, he then jumps over to the story to reference to John the Baptist. So while Jesus is doing this, which you need to understand because Jesus was baptizing, John the Baptist is here. He's moved locations. He's now in Anon. And we talked about last week how I love the phrase, because water was plentiful there. Um, it doesn't take that much water to baptize somebody. So John must have been baptizing a lot of people. Um, and so I, I love the imagery of hordes of people coming to be baptized. I told you last week, uh, I love the idea that we would have to refill the baptismal out here sometime because the water gathered in people's clothes and hair as they get up out of the bath that eventually would drain it so low we couldn't baptize people and we'd have to refill. Like that would be, that'd be a good day, wouldn't it? And so um, it, it is a great joy. And as I said out there, even though we, we really try to encourage because we really want as many people there as possible for baptism, so three or four times a year, I'm going I'm to talk a little more about this, but three or four times a year, we do a, a service where we focus on some of the key, um, these keys, kind of sacred acts in Christianity. One of them is baptism. Um, but what happens is all the time is you get, you get that phone call that says, hey, you know, my dad's in town and can he baptize us this, this he's here this weekend. And I mean, what are you going to do? Say, no, no, see, it's more important that we have it on our schedule. Like, Sure, of course you could. Of course we can do that. Of course we could. Or, hey, this kid just put his faith in Jesus Christ, but he heads back to China next week. Could we baptize him this week? Like, well, yes. We're not going to ask him to come back for our event, our baptism event on, from China. Like, it's 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 amazing. And listen, talk about talk about horrible problems for a church to have, right? I mean, what a, what a nightmare to have to decide when we baptize all the people who want to be baptized. Like, this is there are worse issues for us to deal with. But it is a um, it, 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 it is a cool thing for us to get to do as many as we can on that one day when we're all celebrating it together. But at the same time, man, what a tough one. Now, this is a, um, uh, watching that experience is, is really cool. But this goes on to feel so real. John is clarifying that, John the author is clarifying John the Baptist had not yet been arrested obviously, because he's baptizing people. But he's giving you a little bit of a timeline. This is before the arrest, so this is how how you know how this is going on. Um, Sometimes the book of John is not um, directly um, chronological, and so he's he's clarifying here, okay, this is when this is happening. Um, And there arose, this is my, listen to this. Now, the discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now, remember what I said about being a psychologist and people acting like people. Imagine this. Can you imagine this? Sometimes, way in the past, that's going to be tough for you to imagine, people used to argue about religious practices. I know, I know, it's hard, to, it's hard to wrap your brain around that, isn't it? Like in this day and age when we've finally moved past all of that. Um, uh, this is, it is, so there, you're right, 
yep, that sounds like early Christians and Jews, right? That sounds like exactly like the early Christians going, here's how we're baptizing the Jews going. And now, notice that the Apostle John doesn't give us a whole bunch of detail about this. What were they arguing about purification? What was the problem that the Jew had with the, with the way John the Baptist was baptizing people? What was the we don't know, and apparently it's not all that important. They just were. So this Jew at some point comes to the John's disciples and has a problem with purification. Now, baptism was a purification act in the Jewish world. It was called the mikvah, and so the mikvah bath was an act of purification. It could be done numerous different times in life for different reasons, um, and we see that even in the Bible. So Jesus baptizes for different reasons than John the Baptist baptizes, for example, or, or later people baptize for very different reasons. Then saw so John the Baptist was baptizing people for repentance, which is like purification, to be prepared for the coming of the Messiah who's on his way. You need to be ready for this. And so this is, this is different. Well, the Jews baptized for multiple reasons. For example, the mikvah bath was done at least once a year in preparation for Passover week. And in preparation, anytime you went up onto the temple, it was done. And so today when they dug up all around Jerusalem, all around the temple, they, every time they dig, they find another mikvah bath. Dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of little mikvah baths scattered all over Jerusalem because you would have tens of thousands, some say hundreds of thousands of people coming for different rites and times. And so they would come. And the mikvah bath involved going down a set of stairs, dunking yourself in the water. And by the way, intriguingly, apparently, um, we don't do this here, but they would strip entirely to go down into the mikvah. So the Jewish people are very private people. And so it was, it was a very narrow, dark little tunnel they would go down in, strip completely dunk themselves, and then they would have clothes on the other side of the exit, and then they would put on these new white clothes to wear just up onto the temple. So you also should imagine, when you imagine the temple in your mind, you should imagine a, a whole bunch of people, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, all dressed in identical white, bright clothing as well. So to add to the majesty of that experience. That was the mikvah bath. It was done multiple times. We, you find them all over Israel. Every town you go to, Every ancient city that's dug up, you find mikvah baths in it. It was a common thing for the Jewish people to do this as an act of purification. Well, something about the way John the Baptist was doing it had chapped a Jewish person, and this Jewish person was coming and confronting them over this, and it triggered something in John the Baptist's disciples' mind. They went, well, wait a minute. And so maybe they've heard, maybe this Jewish, lead, this Jewish guy had been where Jesus and his followers were baptizing, which is probably not very close to where they are, and he's telling them like, hey, you need to know this is how Jesus, this other guy, is baptizing people. And, and some commentaries believe that the problem was that Jesus was baptizing people that John the Baptist had already baptized. That people were being baptized by John the Baptist, and since John the Baptist kept sending people to Jesus, they were going to Jesus, they were hearing the truth, and they were being baptized again, which would not have been strange at all for the early Christians or the Jews to do, to, to be, they were being baptized again. So, I know this is another one, this is really going to be hard, again, just like the whole religious disagreement issue is tough for you to wrap your brains around, this is going to be another one. Apparently, some of the early Christians were kind of in competition with some of the other early Christians. Again... Praise God, we're past all that stuff, right? That's a, um, but apparently there was some competition going on. Like, hey, wait a minute, you left my church to go to your church, or wait a minute, you, you did this instead of that, or how come you're giving money to that instead of this, or how come you're, um, again, man, it is such freedom to be past that. Then, then John's, so this is apparently going on. 
So they come to John to complain. They come to John the Baptist and go, hey, that guy, that guy who you referred to, so really this is your fault, John. You messed all this up. These people who were coming to us, you noticed our crowds are down? Let me tell you why. It's because they're going to this Jesus character, and then he's baptizing them again. What do you think about that, John? And John says, verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. See, John the Baptist understood that the people who came to him to learn and be baptized were a gift from God. This wasn't John's doing. This was God's doing. That Willis is wanting to be baptized here this morning is a gift to us. All of us who got to experience that, the church who got to see it on screen. That's, it's God's gift to us. God has given this good thing. A person can't receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. These are from God, not us. God gives us people. God gives us children. God gives us our spouses and one another. Do you think we do this? Any of it. Um, it was as a Christian, as a, as a Christian who, who listens for parables all the time, I remember when, when President Obama made that reference to, did you, did you do this? And I remember thinking at the time, like, this is great theology if it goes the right direction here. The answer is, no, you didn't. God did. You think you built that business? No, you didn't. You think you made that thing grow? No. All you can do is plant. Only God can make things grow. Only God has that kind of power. This is a, we can mistake this so easily to go like, hey, we must be really knocking it out of the park if people are coming. Let's, let's make sure that we give that glory to God. Not even one person could come here if it wasn't from God. This is important. We, we are not primarily, as Christians, we are not primarily anything except ministers. That's what we are primarily. Minister just means servant. We are primarily that. Our, our, our marriages are a place where we serve. Our families are a place where we serve. You're not primarily a student. You're not primarily a banker or a doctor or an engineer or any of those type of things. That's not what you are primarily if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. What you are primarily is a minister of the gospel. And so we are. All of these other good things are there for, for those reasons. We have the great commission and therefore the role of those things and where we live out that great commission. So the way we teach and engage with students, the way we build, the way we design, the way we, whatever it is that we do must be in the name of Jesus Christ. Every good thing comes from him. James 1.18, which many of you, immediately your brain went to this, at the, the, even that other phrase, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I love that the word there is used in the, in the one in John, from heaven. See, heaven is usually related to a kingdom in the Gospels. The kingdom of heaven. Heaven, that the kingdom that we live in is the source of the good things that we have. Now John, gets, John is just getting warmed up with his own disciples here. He's going to have to explain something to try to get through their thick skulls. In verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. This is, this is a Bible way of saying, you guys remember that I said this, right? 
you remember that I was abundantly clear from day one that I'm not the Christ. If you're following me because you think I'm the Christ, you're out of line. I've told you from day one I'm not. I'm not the Christ. He creates then this beautiful, I mean really cool analogy for himself and his ministry. Verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The best man, he's done with his job at the end of the wedding. Right? This is kind of a classy way of saying the best man's not in the honeymoon suite. His job is finished. His whole job, his job is to make sure that the bride and the groom end up together and alone. That's his job. His only job. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. See, John is saying, my job was to introduce the groom and the bride. That has been my, like, like I've done my job. I, I've proclaimed the groom. He has proclaimed the bride. Um, my kids who went through, uh, who have been through uh, some, a cool series of classes in the, the schooling that they do, um, one of them, their teacher pointed out as they were studying literature. So how do you, how do you tell the difference? Somebody remember? Some, how, many, how, many, how do you tell the difference between a comedy and a tragedy? Now remember from school? Huh? A wedding. Okay, what, what do you mean a wedding? Okay, so a comedy ends with a wedding. A comedy ends, that's right, with a unification, a coming together of community, and typically it's a wedding. Tragedies end with a funeral, usually, or at least a bunch of dead people laying around, if you Shakespeare, like, it ends with a funeral. A, di a dispersal of community is how the tragedy ends. Think about this. The Bible essentially, by chapter two, begins with a wedding, and ends with a wedding. It's an, it's an epic comedy. It is the coming together of community. And John the Baptist is referencing this in a really cool way. He's saying, this is my job. So here's what's, he's comparing their jealousy, their envy of people going to Jesus, he's comparing that to, is the, is the best man jealous when the bride and groom get married? Is he over there fuming? When the, when the pastor in today's world says, you may kiss your bride, is the best man going like, God, Jim. I mean, I hope not. If so, you chose poorly for the best man, right? That was, a, that was a poor choice, best man, who's upset that you ended up with the girl. I mean, was he go, did he go into the wedding going like, I, I've got a chance here. I've got a chance. It, this, this could all end with me with her. That's how this could end. No, and John the Baptist is making that abundantly clear. No, that's not how this works. How could it be bad news that people are going to hear Jesus? That's what John the Baptist is saying. That's, that's one of our philosophies here, by the way, is that we don't compete with other Bible-teaching, Christ-fearing, following churches. Why would we ever compete with them? Is it bad news for someone to go to hear the gospel presented across the street at Bethel? Well, no, that's not bad. How could that possibly be bad news? That's the whole point. Here or there, as long as they're hearing it, as long as they have the chance to live it out, as long as they're experiencing it, man, that's, we are all about that. 
And so that's, it, it, there's, and here's what's cool about Tyler is, when I mean, you throw a rock and you'll hear the gospel coming out of the broken window that you threw on Sunday morning. It is, I, I know there are churches that do not teach the gospel here. I know that is true. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of many of them. But there are dozens that do, um, that are fantastic. Now, there are times when I do feel a little stingy that we have, you know, we have people in our auditorium who are sitting and listening to me to preach who probably would be among the best preachers in Tyler this morning if they were preaching. And, uh, and so um, there are times when I'm like, is it fair to have Paul here sitting rather than preaching somewhere? He would he'd be doing one of, the, one of the best sermons in Tyler right now if he were preaching somewhere. So um, it's just a, I definitely have that feeling. We have numerous, the bench at, at South Spring is unbelievably deep when it comes to preaching. We have so many people who can do a great job with it. But um, this is such an amazing mindset that we as Christians will get there. It's one of my favorite things in family dynamics, and I'm doing counseling in family dynamics, but I got siblings. Um, so some of you siblings engage with this one right here. So I go, I go um, hey, I've got $5 that I'm going to give to the youth. So I go to the son. I'm like, I'm just going to give you $5, free and clear, nothing, five bucks. Here you go. It's all yours. How do you feel about that? And the boy's like, this is awesome. This is incredible. I got five bucks for nothing? Like nothing. You just get it. You get to keep it. He's like, man, thank you. Good. And I'm going to give your sister $10. Free and clear. Nothing. Not charging or anything. There's nothing for it. Just $10. And I turned to the son. Now, how do you feel about that? He's like, how come she got $10 and I got $5? Why would it be bad news for your sister to get $10 free? Does that in any way, did anything change about your experience? You got $5 free and clear, and you're all excited about that a second ago, but then your sister, who you love, got $10, and now you're mad about your $5. I've had kids crumple up the $5 and throw it down and walk out of my office. Like, you should be in church. I mean, not for, sorry, there's double meaning there. The, um, uh, because you look like you belong. No, because this should break, our mentality in that should be broken. As Christians, that should be broken. What? Sweet. I got five. You got ten. Let's celebrate. But that's not our mindset with other Christians so often. How come they this and they this and how come they this and they, What? John is, 2,000 years ago, John was having to communicate to people, understand this isn't bad news, disciples. It's not bad news that people are getting to meet Jesus. In fact, it goes this strong. John the Baptist gives his theme verse. This is John the Baptist's life motto. I don't know if he came up with it right here or if this has been in his brain for years, but what a powerful, one of the, in my opinion, one of the greater mission statements ever proclaimed in history he must increase, but I must decrease. To the degree that there is competition, to the degree that there is a choice to be made, he increases, I decrease. That is the, now what's amazing is how rarely God requires it in this, and maybe even in the way John is talking about, like, no, no, you just get on my page and then we, we're all on the same team. But to the degree that something has to give, I give. This is a great motto for marriage. This is a great motto for parenting. This is a great motto for living out the Christian life with one another. No, 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 no. You, you increase, I decrease. You increase, I decrease. We worked on memorizing Philippians 2. Having this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's this mind. That 
By very nature, God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. This is the, that's the Christian motto. We, we, many of us know the, the passage in Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husbands as the Lord, but very few of us realize that the word submit doesn't appear in that verse in the Greek. It appears in the verse before, let everyone submit to one another. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. That's what it says in the Greek. The, it's clearly, the word submit there is totally appropriate, but it is an expression of the Christian motto. We all submit to one another. We pursue the best for one another. We increase. And as Christians, primarily, fundamentally, what that comes down to is that he increases. He must increase. If necessary, I decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. When it comes to our own personal desires and selfish ambitions and et cetera, we must decrease. That's called repentance. Only one person's plans get to be lived out in my life. It's the theme of Christianity. So often we have to decrease for him to increase. And certainly when it comes to our own self-interest, we must decrease. But the thought of John the Baptist going, you guys don't understand me at all. If you think I'm going to be upset about the fact that my disciples are leaving me to go be disciples of Jesus. You missed me entirely throughout this. You, You don't know me at all. I so deeply, I will tell you, I so deeply respect. I remember the, how, the level of impressed that I felt the first time I read that verse on my own. The idea of someone who had developed this massive following, a counterculture, a, a powerful impression in his day and age, a name recognized, well recognized, and his humble attitude Um, is so deserving of respect. I I have such respect for truly humble people. And they're they're so rare, huh? That's such a powerful thing to get to see that. It it is an aspiration to decrease and him increase. He keeps going. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. We are limited by being from earth, made of earth, Sourced on earth, not so with Christ. He's not limited by earth. He made the earth. He's man, but he is from heaven. He represents heaven. He is greater. Next, He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. As John continues through this little this little monologue, almost, a, almost a, a confrontation of his followers. You guys aren't getting it. I'm just from earth. I'm just a man. That's all that I am is a man. This guy who I referenced, who I witnessed to, he's, he's from heaven. He, he understands. He's not limited by earth. Why would you be stuck with me instead of him? This picture after picture, he's the groom. I'm just the best man. He is from heaven. I'm just restricted by earth. And so when you come from heaven, your testimony should be worth listening to. We're going to see that John is going to talk about, like, and, and, and really, we've already been through that, really only one person gets to have testimony about heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one with a testimony about heaven, so we should be listening to him. He comes and tells us, no, this is what we need to know. 
I often wonder, by the way, when you read this, do you think John was discouraged that so few were listening to Jesus' testimony? I wonder about that. I don't know if this passage is saying that, but you hear John say like, and he, the way he says it, it's a, it's a, it's a hyperbole. Um, he says, no one receives his testimony, but then he goes on to say, whoever receives his testimony. So he doesn't literally mean no one. He means no one in the emotional sense like, no, it's like no one's listening to him. How do you people not see that he's the one with the word of life? You almost imagine John going like, and why are you still here? Why, why do I have any disciples at all? I told you to follow him. Why are any of you here at all? Why are you talking to me? I sent you to him already. You're still listening to me and you shouldn't be. You should be listening to his testimony. And when you listen to his testimony, now I brought this in and I also have a couple of pictures. So um, my daughter's um, very poetic and, and artistic and that kind of stuff. And so um, this is the idea of a seal. Um, a seal is, so you, you, you take wax and you would heat the wax like up that and then you would press the seal into it and that would, that would signify it as yours. If you sealed something shut, it couldn't be broken and then resealed without somebody figuring out that it had. It actually, I mean, even today, it's almost impossible to make the wax look exactly right again. It's really tough. People have tried it. But, um, and then, of course, the, other, the, the ring, people had signet rings. They had rings that had the seal built into the ring. Clearly, that one's a Scottish one because it's got the thistle in it. But the, the, the idea of you would, you would, at the bottom, you would sign it and then you would put your seal and you would press that in that so it would be clear no one else has this signet ring but me so you know it was me this isn't a a forged handwriting this this idea of sealed usually when we see the idea of sealed in scripture it is God sealing us in this situation you have John the Baptist referencing but if you will listen to him if you will believe what he says it's like you're putting your seal on him on the truth of it declaring your loyalty accepting the authority signing the document but even more signed and sealed. That's where that comes from. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, and the Son has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We talked about that the last two weeks in particular. You can go back and listen to those. This idea that, um, that, that we start with God's wrath. That from conception, what we are sealed with is his wrath, and that the work of Jesus Christ, if we put our faith on him, breaks that, and we are resealed. The wrath of God rests on mankind, each and all. He sent his son to utter the words. He sent his spirit to teach us. There's no bottom to the bucket. I'm going to come back to this maybe a little next week. We talk about this word here, without measure, but I'm going to move on for the sake of time today. So we can believe and receive eternal life. If, if you had any doubts about whether Jesus really was teaching that, he has now clarified it yet again in John 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Not just assent, not just, oh, I, okay, I'll, I'll go along with the fact that there probably was a Jesus. We're talking about someone who places their faith there. This is my only hope for salvation. I trust him to save me. All life on earth is limited. All of us. Everyone dies. But those who believe in him have eternal life. They keep living forever in the new place as he intended. As humans, his wrath remains on us until we accept the testimony of his son. 
Is our seal on his page? Is his seal on us? This is what rescues us from the wrath that remains on the rest of the race of mankind. Here you have now heard the testimony of John the Baptist yet again. This concept of testimony has been quite a theme, by the way, if you've been coming so far through the book of John. John 1.7, John the Baptist, he, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Same word there, witness and testimony. John 1.19, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests to the Le- and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who are you? John 1.32, and John, again, John the Baptist, bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. John 2.24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness, bear testimony about man, for he knew what was in man. John 3.11, building up to John 3.16, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we know, but you do not receive our testimony. We're in John chapter 3 and we've already seen this concept over and over again. This is vitally important. You can imagine this in the second service speaking to these young people who have graduated. This question of a testimony should speak loudly, but not just to them. Um, the testimony that we give. I don't, I don't have the list of names handy, um, but you probably, many of you probably know. Um, do you of the seniors who are graduating, think about this. How many of us have taught them from the time they were elementary school in children's ministry, in RAs or GAs or, or going to camp or all those type of things? Like how many of us have engaged with them at some level, these kids? Probably many of us, maybe most of us in the room. We have already borne a testimony. And by the way, even if you haven't, they're watching. They watch how you treat your kids and they watch how we treat each other. Our testimony matters. It's, this, is, this is why we come back over and over and over again to the importance of working with these kids. At the ministry huddle, we talked about this. And on Sunday morning, there are, two, uh, there are three options, but there's only two hours. And if we could have about 280 to 300 people working in the children's ministry, what that would mean is out of a given year, you would need to work with the kids a total of um, 12 to maybe 16 weeks, four, three to four months. That'd be, that would be what we would need. Everybody, essentially all members, almost, about half, to be involved in that, uh, the adults. It, that's what that would, and so here's what I would tell you, like if, if, you're, if you're a member of the church, I really want to strongly recommend that, that you go through the process of getting prepared to teach these kids. It'll be really poignant for the second service when they see the seniors and you go, these kids are here largely because of the people who invested in them over and over and over again all throughout these many years with different age groups. So on Sunday morning, you have three options but only two hours. For three or four months out of the year, let one of those three options be that you're investing in the next generation of believers over there in the children's building. If that fits for you, some of you can't do it for one reason or another, health reasons, or can't pass a background check or something like that, that's fine. If that's you, that's fine. That doesn't, that doesn't minimize your role here at this church. But, but for every, all the rest of us who can, we need to be finding ways to engage with those kids. Um, only God knows what they're going to face as they come out of the, this generation. We are in a highly, highly secularized culture now. It's amazing when I think back on, I've referenced Mrs. Papp, um, I think back on Ms. Pat and, and uh, youth ministers and, 
and teachers, Pete Smith and Neil McClendon and Lanny Tanton and Tommy Lee and the different people who engaged with me and brought me to the place where I am now. That's, you want to be on people's lips. Their, your testimony in their life. So I really want to encourage you, if you are someone you want to, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you want there to be a testimony and an audience that you proclaim the gospel to a population. And, and yes, that means either missing a, li- a Sunday morning life group or the, or the worship in the big room here for three or four months out of the year. Yeah, that's what you need to do. We all need to be doing that. It's too important to raise these kids up and honestly too embarrassing if we don't step up and do it. Um, <clears throat> so I really want to encourage all of us to do that. This testimony concept is vitally important. This testimony of John the Baptist over and over and over again, you go, yeah, but that's not my favorite thing to do. Well, here's a thought. You may need to decrease so that he may increase. That may be what needs to happen. Well, that's, again, that's, that's not, that doesn't sound like all that much fun to me. Okay, well, have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Consider others more significant than yourself. I think there's plenty of application, and this transcends this. This is not just here. This transcends this place, but it certainly applies in this place that we would understand this teaching and take the example of John the Baptist here and, in fact, would listen. So if you don't know Jesus, listen to that testimony today. If you believe in him, you can have eternal life. And for those of us who do believe in him and have eternal life, now how do we then communicate that to others? Do you have the ambition of leading someone to Christ? Do you have the ambition of baptizing them? This is the place to fulfill that ambition. If you don't have that ambition, I'll pray it over you because you need it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the power of your seal. Your seal on us and that you give us some option to put our seal on you is just an amazing gift from you. That we can believe in you and have eternal life. I pray, in fact, that that's exactly what happens. That anybody here who doesn't know you have not put their faith in you, who does not believe in you, that they would. God, I pray that you would guide us to live a life worthy of the calling we've been called. I pray that we would have the mind of your son. That we would think of others as more important than ourselves. God, I pray that you would teach us to live out what we've heard. God, that what we have heard about putting our faith in you and believing in you, that we wouldn't have this competitive mindset, but instead we could just rest in the truth of who you are and follow your son. And God, as we follow him, to then have a testimony in the lives of others as well. God, I thank you for this in your son's holy and magnificent name. Amen.